Football is about the Jimmys and Joes and X's and O's. Blue 58! Blue 58! Check New York Bozo! New York Bozo! 28, Baker Bruce! It's time to get out the chalkboard and diagram some plays. Here's where it all starts right here. Let's play! G-Money Christmas! What the hell's going on out here? This is Inside Football with former Colts and NFL coach Rick Venturi. Hey, we're back. Inside Football returns with Rick Venturi and the Colts were winners in Week 10. They knocked off the Raiders and the Colts return home this weekend after two weeks on the road. And the Horseshoes have a big date on Sunday with the 8-1 Philadelphia Eagles at Lucas Oil Stadium. Hi, everybody. I'm Matt Taylor, and I'm joined again today by Rick Venturi on the horn with his four decades of coaching background in the NFL and major college football. Rick, welcome back today, man. How you feeling? Man, I'm feeling really good. You know, we got back a little early. early. We had that headwind. Nothing's more <laughs> exhilarating than a win. You know, we, we did what most people could never do. That's beat the house in Vegas. Man. There you go. So, <laughs> yeah, they beat it, it soundly. That. They beat it soundly. I like it. I, I tell you what, I tell you what, winning winning makes a difference. It, it really, really does. Food tastes better. Everything is better. No question about it. Yeah, nobody knows that better than you all those years. All right, so take me back to Sunday, Rick. The Colts win uh, in their first time out with Jeff Saturday as the interim head coach. Uh, They turned the offense back over to Matt Ryan at quarterback. Parks Frazier called a great game on offense, doing it for the first time in his career. What did you take from Sunday in Las Vegas in that big win against the Raiders? Yeah, first of all, it was a great win for all all Colts nation you know, to, the, the Colts took undue uh, criticism last week. I, I thought it was really, really over the top, even from people in my business. I was, I was surprised. I was a little disappointed in that, to be honest with you. You know, and you know, if you look at the game, success always has a million fathers. Um, you could point out a million things. Uh, I, I would say the comeback of Matt Ryan and Jonathan Taylor. You know, comeback, different co- types of comeback, but. That certainly stood out. But four things to me, you know, after an exhausting week and a controversial week, four things stood out to me, and and I want to hit them. I I think, first of all, I think our owner owned this team last week. He took this team over. And as you know, I've known Jim for four decades, and people continue to underrate his ability – Jim has a different way of speaking. He speaks in parables. He speaks in equivalencies, much like the songwriter that he is. And people confuse style sometimes with really the substance that's put out there. And I think he always gets underrated because of it as a football man and primarily a football instincts. And I've certainly learned not to doubt him. What he did last week was made a stand. What he really said was, what he really said was, this season is not over, this battery is dead, and I've got to recharge it, but if we recharge it correctly, we can win. And that's exactly, we needed a spark, and he hired Jeff because he was confident that he would bring juice to a dead battery. You know how I call I call it the jumper cable effect, and it was there. He didn't hire Jeff to be a technician. He hired him to be a lightning rod. And he wasn't concerned about what anybody thought about staying in the box. And then number two, Jeff took over and led. He brought his personality and juice, as we hoped, 
to the club. You could sense it right from the beginning. You could see the energy level was was better. And a lot of that was his own personality. But I think number two, and this was something I had mentioned big last week, is you gotta show you gotta show your team why you're gonna change. And I think he made two critical decisions during the week. The first one was with Parks Frazier. Nobody knew Parks Frazier, but he said, you're going to call the plays. So he told the team, okay, we're going to do something different. It's going to be a little bit different. It's untested but different. And I think the biggest move, period, and I think you'll probably agree with me, was going back to Matt Ryan. I felt like that, no disrespect to Allinger, I like him as a kid. I think he's a backup in this league. But I really believe that nobody was going to say it, but interior-wise, I don't think the team was on board with that. I think they felt like that the minute we did that, that we were experimenting in 22. And no player wants to experiment. I think they all felt, and nobody, because they're classy guys, expressed it, they wanted Ryan in there. And I think putting him back in there was not only the physical that we needed against this team, but I think it was a humongous psychological lift. And when Jeff led it, and then I think Parks really and truly directed it. And I have respect for this because I did it for so long. It's very difficult. Offense and defensive coordinator in the league is one of the most difficult. It's been done by studies, two of the most difficult positions in all of pro sports. Because you're calling a game in 20-second intervals, you're making 50 to 70 decisions, and you're doing it for the first time. I thought he, and I'm sure Jeff had a lot to do with this, and the staff, they filtered it down. They really played to our assets and they stayed away from our liabilities, and they made it go. And then I think he called a very methodical game. And by that, you know, he, we did. I thought one of the biggest things we had to do is reestablish Jonathan. We got the running game going. It was, you know, it was tough sledding early, but it cumulative got better and better. You know, and at certain periods of that game, we'd run it, and it was second and five. It wasn't that second and ten. And Jonathan's the kind of guy that has a cumulative effect on a defense. If you keep getting it, giving it to him, he gets better with work. He gets better with work. And it was, you know, culminated finally in that 66-yard breakout, you know, that was a killer to them on defense. I think also, you know, it was a little bit of a return to what we did against Jacksonville early, uh, with the exception of we didn't go no huddle, but we went quick rhythm. A lot of quick rhythm passing, quick screens early, uh, and the RPO game was big. Now, the RPO game was big because what that does is give you the run-pass option, and it prevents Jonathan from having to run into boxes that don't look good. So I think in the end, putting all that together, I think he did a really fine job. He, He did a really fine job of winning first down. You hear me talk about winning first down, and by doing that with that style, it kept our offensive line out of bad situations where they have not flourished in. Mm-hmm. And then four, you know, and these all go together. They're, they're all everything is meshed. Is the players, the Colts players, got together? They opened fast and they closed it to win. You know, we started fast. We got our first leads at different periods than we've had since last Christmas. Uh, but in the end, the, and you know, you and I know this. Most NFL games uh, come down to one possession. And I thought the five plays, I want to point them out, in the final six minutes were the decider. First of all, Matt Ryan's steeplechase. That scramble for 39 (laughs) yards is, you know, one to behold. That'll be one on NFL highlights forever and ever. It was improbable, but it was crazy good. 
And then the underrated play of the game started out on a bad note for Pittman. He got legitimately stripped, but that ball was floating around. The Raiders had a couple shots at it, and Pittman does come back and makes a great recovery. And honestly, if we lose that ball there, that result could have been very, very different. It could have been curtains. And then, of course, you have Campbell, who is really coming on. You had his catch and run. He showed that yak that we expected to give us the lead. And still, and still, it came down to the final two plays for the Raiders on offense and two pass breakups. We had to earn it. I mean, they car threw both balls in there. The play that Okereke makes on the tight end was phenomenal. I mean, that ball was a seed. It was right on the tight end shoulder pads. And Bobby reaches in at that last minute and strips it out of there, mm-hmm. or that or, or that game changes. And then of course, our closer. If there's a, if there's a closer, if there's a single closer on this team, it's Gilmore. What an investment that has been, and he makes the play. They decide to go good on good, you know. And this is the way it's going to be. We're going Adams for all the marbles at fourth and seven, and we're going against their best player. Well, in that situation, our best player won, and I believe that is the third time that he has literally won the game on the last offensive snap. Yeah, against all and, AFC West games, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah Denver, exactly. Kansas City, and Las Vegas. Exactly, the Colts are the NFC, cha- NFC West champion. <laughs> NFC West champion, but no, and so in that sense, it was really good. I, I do want to mention one thing because this was something that was really poor for us a year ago. It cost us the season. Uh, we were 29th a year ago coming out of the 21 season in fourth quarter points given up. Our defense could not hold leads. We gave up seven of them. We couldn't win. And I got to, you got to take your hat off to Gus and those guys. It's not always beautiful. We did have to make two final plays. But we are now the third best, number three in the league in fourth quarter given up. Mm-hmm. That's up from 29. That's pretty doggone good, Matt. Yeah, no doubt about that. Speaking of defense, Rick, can we hit on the news of, of Shaq Leonard real quick? I know yes. we'll get into the yes. blueprints coming up on the Eagles, but it sounds like his season's going to be over. Posted on social media earlier this week, another surgery to address that lingering back and ankle problem that he's really dealt with since January. So always kind of scary, Rick, when you talk about back surgeries, two of them in five months. Um, what, what can you say about his situation and where that puts the Colts at linebacker for the remainder of this season? Well, I feel terrible for him per- uh, personally. You know, his career was going on an upward trajectory. Yeah. He was be- beginning to get the national attention um, that he deserved. I mean, it was it was really coming. Um, he was on a, a, a course to greatness. Um, backs are difficult. I'd have, I've had every surgery, replacement surgery, and the one that really threw me back and probably would have ended my career if I had one was the back surgery. So I wish him the best. I hope for the best. I know it's a tough fight uh, in that sense. I, I will only say this. I will only say this. We're fortunate, and I, and I think, you know, sometimes good things come out of necessity. One of the things that has really developed, and you could tell, I could tell, uh, you know, knowing football like I know and no, knowing players, I could tell that he just didn't have it this year. He just didn't, you know, it just wasn't right. He wasn't, he couldn't move nearly like he ever has before. It just wasn't together. But what has happened is we have really developed a good linebacker core out of necessity. 
I don't think you can say enough about Franklin. I think he ranks right there uh, with Grover, uh, you know, with Grover Stewart for greatness this year in 222, and, and it's going to be huge against Philadelphia this week. And I think Okereke has proven to be the special coverage guy that I told you he would be. And I think EJ Speed has played extremely well in his role in the base, which is a small role because of so much nickel that's played. But I think the development of Franklin and uh, Okereke, yeah. I, th- I think we're going to be fine. As I said, I feel terrible uh, uh, for Shaq. Uh, but I think we're in good shape. All right, let's talk about week 11 as we turn the page. Get ready for the 8-1 and one Philadelphia Eagles. They come flying to Lucas Oil Stadium on Sunday for the first time since the 2014 season. And, uh, Rick, as you know, you watched it. They suffered their first loss of the season on Monday night football this week, losing at home to the Commanders. But despite the loss, Philadelphia still tied with Minnesota for the best record in the NFL. In fact, their 8-1 and one start is also tied for their most wins through nine games in franchise history. They're coached by former Colts offensive coordinator Nick Sirianni in year number two. Last season became the third head coach in franchise history to reach the postseason in their first year at the helm. They also have some Colts flavor on defense. The D.C. is former Colts secondary coach Jonathan Gannon, and the Eagles are a contender. If the playoffs started today, they would be the top seed in the NFC. They rank third in scoring, fourth in total defense, or fourth in total offense, I should say, seventh in points given up on defense. And they have dominated teams in the turnover margin on the big picture. They rank first in the NFL in turnover differential at plus 13, which includes a league-high 20 takeaways on defense. And they also rank second in points off of takeaways with 67 behind only New England. So what else stands out to you on the Eagles coming into this game, Rick, on the big picture in Week 11? Well, I think when you look at the Eagles, if you look at them over nine games, the statistics are really, really outstanding. They they define an eight and one team. I mean, they're one of the few teams that is, you know, in in the top five, both on offense and defense. You know, they're number four in total offense and number three in total defense, number three in scoring, number seven in points given up. So, you know, we're not going to argue the quality of their play um, over the nine week period. I do think, and I've always believed this, the season is so long and you have your ups and downs and peaks and valleys. Sometimes it's not who you play, it's when you play them. Because if you look at the last eight quarters in detail like I have, they haven't played to that level. Uh, and I think that bodes well for us. If you if you look at the last eight quarters, they struggled with Houston. I mean, that game was 21-17 to 17 at the end of three quarters. Um, it was even Steven, to be honest with you, against a very, very substandard Houston team. And then last week, you know, they flat got dominated. I mean, they got they got mauled in a sense. Yeah, you know, the commanders had the ball 40-plus minutes. Uh, I believe it was 152 yards rushing. Um, in, in, as you said, this is the number one turnover ratio team in the league. But they had four turnovers, uncharacteristically. But they turned it over four times. And then they had some really critical penalties. So, you know, we may be playing them at the right time. They've got a short week. 
you know, we've got our mojo back coming, you know, from Vegas. So, you know, obviously we look forward to a, a really, really big game. Obviously, you know, Sirianni does a good job. I mean, I always thought that that was a huge loss uh, for Frank Reich. I always liked Frank, or I always liked Sirianni. I always, Nick, I, I always thought that he, you know, he brought energy to our offense as well as ideas. And he was kind of the guy, the compliment that Frank needed personnel-wise with the team. And I thought his loss here was dear. I also believe Gannon's a very, very good coach. So the guys that were ex-Colts, I think, obviously give them some advantages. Um, obviously, they, you know, this team pivots now around uh, Jalen Hurts. Hurts is a guy who has really come on. You know, his numbers are really, really good. You know, 2,200 yards plus passing. 354 yards rushing, 14 and three. He has really developed and continues to develop into a into the star that he is. He's a leader, classy guy. You know, can kind of do it all. Uh, gives him a combination NCAA and uh, an NFL offense. AJ Brown, you know, top of the rock, uh, 44 or 43 catches. Uh, he's just absolutely outstanding. A uh, big play guy had three bombs against Pittsburgh. He's been a, a Colts killer, so we know exactly what we're dealing with. And then you have Smitty, who's uh, outstanding as well. Um, you know who who is the n- the number two, but they're very close. They both have over 40 catches, and in that sense, that's two of the three amigos. Now I think they also have one real key loss. Uh, Goddard looks like he's going to be out for several weeks now. And he was the third triumvirate, the tight end in their offense. He also had over 40 catches. Between between the three of those guys, they had almost 130 catches. So they've lost one third of their offense. But it's a you know very good team. Uh, Sanders is a good good runner within their system, and then their defense very very solid. Uh, a couple key guys that are playing great right now is Riddick, the edge guy. We saw him in camp for three days last year with Carolina. Undersized guy that can really go, a little bit like Ngakwe. And then the guy that's just literally on fire, Matt, is Hargraves. I I tell you, he has just been tremendous. He's really overshadowed Fletcher Cox, if you can believe that. Uh, He now has seven sacks, and he is a real monster inside. So, you know, they're a team with, I would say, we'll get into it in the must, but – they're a team with very few liabilities. They have enough to hurt them, and it's shown. But overall, very, very good football team. All right, let's bust it out. The blueprints, let's geek out on uh, how the Colts can slow down one of the best teams in the NFL, as you just chronicled. Let's start first with the Eagles on offense. They've got rising star Jalen Hurts at quarterback, as you said, uh, proving everyone wrong who said they should not have drafted him and stuck with Carson Wentz at quarterback. He's one of only four NFL quarterbacks uh, who have recorded 20 or more total touchdowns, and he ranks fifth in total yards per game on the season. And as you said, very dangerous as a runner and a passer. Miles Sanders on pace for a 1,000-yard season at the running back position, already has six touchdowns. He's a slasher. He can cut. He can burst for big plays. A.J. Brown, the former Titan, the Colts killer, came over in a trade during the first round of the draft, and he's blended in seamlessly there in the city of brotherly love. He's tied for the fifth most receiving touchdowns in the NFL with six and ranks second in yards per catch this season at over 16. 
Big blow to them, Dallas Goddard got banged up on Monday night against the Commanders. He's not going to play on Sunday. Very athletic and dangerous tight end. This is a very, very good offense, and it's going to be a great test, great challenge there for the Colts. The Colts defense ranks top five in the NFL as well. This is good on good when the Eagles have the football here. Absolutely, and, you know, as a defensive coordinator, when I look at them, they really stress you. Uh, they stress you with talent, but they also stress you with scheme. And, of course, a lot of that goes back to the type of quarterback that Hurts is and, and I think Nick's ability to use him. I would say in a nutshell to the fans that what you're looking at, what makes it difficult here is you're looking at a, a true, maybe the best, a true combination of the best of NCAA football merged with the best of NFL football. And I'll get what I mean by that is on first down, the Philadelphia Eagles are an NCAA team. I mean, a lot of the runs to Sanders are direct runs, but keep in mind, there's always an RPO tied in with it. Uh, there's a zone read typed in with it. So even though you're defending Sanders inside, you're also being stretched with the threat of the outside edge play, the option type of play of Jalen Hurts. So they're stressing you in the running game on nine different gaps. Also with that now is, you know, once, you know, and so as as long as they're in first down or second and five or less, which I call unknown downs because they're usually even pass rundowns, okay, they're going to threaten you with that stuff. They're going to be NCAA, and he's going to play action and take shots. He's going to play action and boot on the perimeter. He's going to do all those things with a mobility guy can do. Now, when you add that and you know you have to get close to the box on him, you've got one of the best one-on-one threats out at the split end in A.J. Brown. Big, you know, he's powerful. We've seen it. He got on top of Pittsburgh three times. He's a good yak guy. He, he'll go after the catch, physical. So you got that dimension that you have to take care of. And then Smitty has become number six, the Alabama kid. He's become the scheme guy. He's kind of the inside guy. When they need a first down, they'll stack and get him the ball. It does hurt them to lose Goddard. I, I'll tell you what I think they're going to do. And then when they get into second and long, and say a second and nine, then they'll, they'll go spread. They'll go West Coast, throw the ball really quick. And on third down, they'll play NFL football. So, again, it's a it's a merging of ideas based on the quarterback who can execute it. I do feel, and I'll get into this in the must, that he's much better still, though, on the move than he is a pure dropback passer. He's not a dud as a dropback passer, but I see inaccuracies when he's kept in the box. So I'd say our must is, number one, we have to defend – Sanders on those inside zone plays. We can't overload the defense outside and let him split it. And then Gainwell will come in on third down and run the passing offense number number 14. Now, as I said, it's a direct running game, but it isn't like you can just pack everybody in there because here comes here comes the fake of the zone read. Here comes the RPO on the outside. So it's really important that our interior linemen and we're good at that. This is our wheelhouse, Buckner and Stewart, and our two inside linebackers really play good inside. Those are the guys that have to play great inside on Sanders 
because your ends have to play with real discipline. They can't fly down, close down every time we hand the ball off to Sanders. They have to play square and down, and then your safeties and corners got to be able to tackle on the edge, and you're going to have to play X amount of man-to-man coverage, no matter what you call it, because your secondary has got to be involved. But number one, you've got to be able to handle those direct runs, because if they can run those, and sometimes when they get in trouble, they just come back to that. They just feed it to, to Sanders. So number one, you can't let him go in north and south. Number two, you've got to set the edge on Hertz. Now, most of the time that will be either with an end who's outside or a safety coming down off the edge or a nickel or somebody like that because he is going to run it. He, he, in certain situations, he's going to run a lot. If he's in the red zone, you have to treat him like another running back because then all the NCAA designers uh, come in. So you, you've got to be really – you cannot let them beat you on the blackboard with those designer runs, and he'll run them all. So, again, it's direct runs by your interior players. It's end discipline and safety tackling on the edge on the NCAA part of it, okay? Number three, we've got to have a really good plan, and a lot of it's going to come down to being able to play tough one-on-one. And obviously Gilmore will, you know, will be challenged. uh, But we can't let A.J. Brown go wild. You know, again, the Steelers, he just killed the Steelers. Uh, he beat Witherspoon their corner like he just beat him like a drum. I don't think that can happen with us. I think Gilmore is a good match, but because of the versatility of their offense on the edge with the quarterback, there's going to be X amount of man coverage out there, and we got to do a real good job on AJ. You got to keep him under control. Uh, nothing easy. Don't let him get over the top. He's very good, and you've seen this. He's very good on the 50-50 ball. Gilmore's very good on the 50-50 ball. So it'll be a really good match, but you have to stop him. And then number two, you've got to have a scheme, particularly on third down, on those third and five to sevens. That's when Smith is really going to get there. Now, Smith can run. Smith can really go. But he's more where A.J. is more outside the numbers. Smith is more of a crease, numbers-to-numbers guy. And then, as I said, he's become the schematic guy. When they're third and six, he'll be in a stack. He'll stack release and run an option. You know, he's the guy that they want to go to. Now, security blanket for, um, for, for the quarterback has been Goddard, and he's gone, and I think that helps us. Now, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm going to pull another name out of the hat. I wouldn't be surprised that the third wide receiver, Zach Pascal, yeah. okay, who we know well, doesn't now take on a little bit bigger role. His role has really been subdued because Goddard was one of the three amigos, all three guys having over 40 catches. I think the two guys they'll use to pick up slack and passing downs will be Pascal, who will become the third receiver, and can kind of he kind of plays a semi-tight end type receiver. So I look for that. I'm anticipating that. And then Gainwell, uh, you know, the running back. So I mean, I think I think that's it from a receiver standpoint. Then I think the biggest key issue I talked about stopping him on the NCAA. Uh, this is hurts the number two must was control the NCAA part of it. But I think number four, the other thing that's really critical is when you do get him in passing downs, you want to keep him in. I would rather have him 
throwing out of the pocket. Then I would scrambling around, running around. Because when he gets out there, first of all, he can take it as long as he has to take it, and he throws exceptionally well as the new modern-day quarterback does on the run. I think what's really important is you condense him in that pocket and you cut down any escape lanes. What our ends can't do this week, you can't just rush upfield and run past the quarterback. On a quarterback like this, we always used to say, never get deeper than quarterback depth. If you can cut the angle and get him, fine. But if not, don't keep running because if you keep running, you're going to open up those inside lanes. Don't get distorted underneath. Don't have three to one side and one to the other side. Good balance rush, close, condense. I notice a falling off of accuracy when he's in the pocket and it is condensed. So I think that's really, really critical, um, you know, in, in that regard. They have a couple linemen I would work on. The one thing, uh, you know, I, I, I think their weakest part of their offensive line uh, is their left tackle, Malata. I think you can get to him. But the guy you got to work on, and, and I think because you, you got to keep your ends closed, is you got to get Buckner on Samalo, the right guard, number 56. I think he is the weak sister. I don't think he can handle Buckner. I'm not sure I would play one down of this game without Buckner on him. But, again, the biggest thing kind of starts and ends with Hurts. That's Rick Venturi. I'm Matt Taylor. This is Inside Football, breaking down the blueprints for the Colts to beat the Eagles. Let's roll over to the Philadelphia defense. This unit now mastermind by former Colts secondary coach Jonathan Gannon at defensive coordinator. And the Eagles, Rick, giving up only about 18 points per game despite the 32 they allowed on Monday to Washington. They are elite, elite in slowing teams down through the air. They've held four teams to under 200 yards on the season through the air. They rank third in total yards. They have the fourth most sacks in the NFL, and it all starts up front. Brandon Graham at defensive end, he's been there for 13 seasons. He owns the fourth most sacks in Eagles history with 62. They also have mainstays Fletcher Cox and Josh Sweat. Javon Hargrave and Hassan Reddick have combined for 13 and a half sacks on the season. And then there in the secondary, they're pretty multiple. They rely on Darius Slay at the cornerback position, and they've got a star at safety. Uh, C.J. Gardner-Johnson leads the NFL with a career-high six picks on the season. And, in fact, he's the only Eagle since the 1970 merger to record five consecutive games with a pick, and he's the first safety in the NFL to accomplish that since 2015. So that's the layout for the Eagles on defense. Rick, what else stands out to you about Philly on tape on defense? No, you you, you hit it. I mean, this is this is a tough unit. Uh, it's a tough unit with some exceptional players up front. Uh, you're you're exactly right. Gardner Johnson has really been a big acquisition for them. Um, he has five sacks. He's a playmaker at safety. They also have a very, very good nickel uh, in Maddox. Now, he did not play with an injury last week, and Scott, number 33, came in and played uh, for him and did a pretty good job. But they're strong there. Uh, I think Slay is a very solid corner. I'm going to get into Bradbury. I think he is the liability there. I think their linebackers are solid. Uh, the interesting thing, for as much double sync as they play, they really have struggled with the run. And even though their run per wasn't bad, they still gave up 152 last week. So, you know, they are vulnerable at times to the running game as good as that front is. 
Now, they are very much like the Patriots in terms of overall style. This is a team, and, you know, I think we got we caught a break with the Raiders. The Raiders are just a step behind everybody in coaching, and they played us in their overfront 80% of the time, which is our wheelhouse. They they played a double sink maybe 20% of the time. Well, we're out of that one because we're going right back into the fire here because the basically the Eagles basically major in the double sink. And, they, and again, they're like the Patriots. They just play it with different people. If they're in base, uh, then Johnson, number 48, is an outside rusher. If they play it in nickel, it's Reddick. Sometimes it's a big nickel with Sweat and Graham. So they will give you a lot of different people like the Patriots um, in the game, but they're going to give you that double sink, and they're going to bring five most of the time. Sometimes they'll drop one of those guys, but they have those big guys inside, Cox and Hargraves, to basically try to eat you up in terms of run and then rush your passer. And what they do is a lot of, a lot of first down stuff, is going to be an eight-man front. I mean, they're going to pack the box on Jonathan and give you that double sink, force you to try to go off tackle, uh, which we have had trouble with that defense. Even Sunday, we had trouble with it when they played it. And so they're going to get in that look. They're going to bring one of those safeties down all the time. Uh, They'll play some man-to-man, some fire zone back in there. When they are in a base coverage, it's a lot of four. Uh, but this is the way they play. Gannon is very, very sound, and yet he creates some problems with that, uh, with that, with that double sink defense. And then when they get in passing downs, there is um, there is some variation when they get into the passing downs. Now, here's what I think the musts are against their defense. First of all, you're going to be looking at an over defense or a double sink defense. Okay. And so you have to have some audibles in your running game. If they're in the over defense, which means that they've shifted over to the tight end, you want to bang that thing weak and you want to bang it quick. You want to get in that bubble and you want to pound that football. Again, the way that Washington took that ball for 40 minutes is they played mash ball and gap ball. And we have to do the same thing. Now We're not as good as they are in gap ball, but we can play mash ball. By mash ball, I mean they just ran it direct, wedged it with their offensive line, pushed it, and they didn't get big yardage, but they kept it moving. Then when, you know, then when Philadelphia jumped into their double sink, then they ran the off-tackle powers, the off-tackle OTs. That's when they gapped them. So it's a combination in my world of mush ball, you know, mash ball, which is straightforward, and then gap ball when they get in that double sink. And I, I really think that's critical. Uh, I, I think, you know, again, they banged out 152 yards, 40 minutes. That wasn't by accident. So it's really important. We did reestablish Jonathan last week. I think it's going to be much tougher this week. But I think to some degree we have to do the same thing. I think number two, I talked about all their strengths. I think their biggest weakness is Bradbury at the right corner and the fact that they undress their corners almost every first and second down. You almost know that on first and second and five or less that those corners are either man-to-man by themselves or zone by themselves. There's very seldom 
do they get help? They don't play a lot of two unless it's third down. And even their four, they don't help them. And when they do roll one way or another, it's always weak. So you can safely say, Mike Homer always used to say, I want I want situations that are always or never. Okay. I don't want anything in between. That wasn't an analytical, but it it what a great coach said. And so what I'm saying is you pretty much know that your strong side corner, whoever that receiver is, is going to be one-on-one. So I would like – I'm going after Bradbury. I'm telling you, I know I respect that front. They could stifle us. They really could, and you can't be stubborn. But they have a weak sister in Bradbury, and I want to go after him. Now, I want to go after him with Pierce or Campbell. I don't, as much as I like Pittman, that's not the idea. I want to put the speed over there. I saw him get ripped. I saw him get ripped, um, you know, in games. I want to go right after him on that right side. So I I think that's the key. And if I have to go strong formation to the left to make sure I get that, I'm going to get it. The number three, I think play action and misdirection is good against them. Now, with that, you have to max protect because of that five-man front. But because they bring five most of the time, that means they're only three under. That means they're only like three under and three deep. So if you can get those linebackers, those three guys moving one way, and even when they're in cover four, there's only three guys short. If you can get them moving one way and come across the grain or run, even with Matt, run a little bit of a half boot, half roll, and run those snap outs on cover four out into the flat, I think you can totally, and you know, and then sometimes they try to drop those ends, but those ends drop them from the line of scrimmage. They're, they get they get distorted. So, you know, I think those misdirection passes, boots, play action, all those kinds of things are really good. And then number four, in all of these again, you could go one, two, three, four, and make them all number one. We have got to protect the passer here. This is a much greater challenge. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, and I don't I don't want to be disrespectful. But the Raiders are the worst coach defense and the worst talented defense. They can't rush the passer. They're the last in passing. Their pass percentage against is last. They're the worst. Now you're stepping up in class, and you've got some front guys, and they haven't even hardly played Quinn at all. And he just, they just acquired him two weeks ago. But you talked about all those guys. This is number three in the league, 29 sacks. They're all guys you know. That that scares you a little bit. You got Cox and Hargraves inside. You got Graham who can play outside, who kicks inside. You got Sweat who's a good power rusher off the edge, and then you got Riddick who they move around, who's really really fast. So, you know, again, what you know, again, Parks has got to do a good job, and it may have to be different than he did last week, right? Because no two teams are the same. But he's got to command first down. We don't want to get in disadvantaged situations because our defensive line could, you know, you know, right now it's Cinderella and, you know, we, we look good. But against certain teams, you get behind in the camp. Cinderella, that coach can turn into a pumpkin in a hurry. So, you know, I think you have to own first down. I'd say the two guys, though, right now that you really have to block because they're just on fire. And this is no disrespect to Fletcher Cox. I can't believe I'm even saying it. But Hargraves is playing as good as I've ever seen him in the league right now. And right now he's primarily um, on our right guard. So it'll be a challenge there for the rookie. And then uh, Redick will definitely be a challenge uh, for Ryman on the left side. 
All right, Rick, this is exciting going into this game. I mean, Jeff Saturday got his first win last week. Everybody's saying, all right, now what? Uh, Parks Fraser called a good game, <laughs> as you said. Uh, but now there's tape out there on the Colts offense under Parks. So, again, now what? Uh, the Eagles lost their first game. They're not invincible, so how do they respond? Uh, the Colts are going to go into this game heavy underdogs, you know, against one of the best teams in the National Football League. This is a, a great chance for the Colts to stack some wins, see if they can get back to 500 and make a late season push and and also to make a big statement to the rest of the NFL with this win possibly coming up. Absolutely, Matt. I mean, I always felt this. If I was 500, if I was 500 at Thanksgiving, anything could happen. And we got a, we got a chance to make that step right now this Sunday in Lucas Oil. Big step. I think in the end this week, I, I look at this as a great opportunity to stack wins. When somebody says challenge, that kind of implies that it's very, very difficult. I just think it's a good opportunity. You know, the Eagles will be the favorite. There's no question about that. But their last two weeks have exposed the cracks that they have. My feeling on the Eagles, I told you this on Monday, I think they're good. I don't think they're great. I don't think they're unbeatable. You have the mojo now back that we had lost. We had flattened off. The battery was dead. It got recharged, and success will recharge it, and we can get this. I I think we've got to dominate those early downs, and we have to keep them behind the chains. We don't want to get behind the chains. You know, it'll come down to our best execution. We executed last week, and your best effort for 60 minutes. Here's what I look at, and here's what I tell them. Last week, you proved you could play with fire. You could be efficient and you could beat the hell out of a bottom feeder, okay? The challenge and opportunity now is to beat an NFL top team and prove that you are a contender, get back to 500 by Thanksgiving to make a run. I I believe we are a a contender. I really do. Trust me on this. I believe totally that we can do it in that old statement, why not us? And I totally believe that. There you go. Rick Venturi, as always, bringing the heat and the thunder on this week's Inside Football. Rick, I feel like how many hours of tape did you watch this week? Not that you're not always uber prepared, but I feel like you're extra. Maybe you took it to the to the extra degree, maybe by a hair this week on the Eagles in this game. Yeah, it was. You know, it's always exciting for me to watch somebody that I haven't seen. And it does it. It it. it you know, it's it's a little bit of an uber effort, but it's something I absolutely love. I caught yeah. myself. My wife came in uh, yesterday afternoon. What are you doing? You know, because normally I do all my research work, but you're just you're intrigued by it. You know, yeah. I'm intrigued by you know the names. This is this is a fun thing, and, and you know, again, I was really interested to see what Sirianni, because we know him so well. Mm-hmm. You know what they and uh, uh, you know they and Gannon have done, and of course. You know, two weeks ago, you thought these guys were invincible, and they're not. Yeah. And so it's just exciting. I'm like everybody else. That win just exhilarates you, and, and you just go on. Excited for this game, Rick. Eagles coming to town. Should be a great crowd. Uh, Pre-Thanksgiving get-together for 65,000-plus at Lucas Oil Stadium. And uh, can't wait to see you on Sunday for a home game. And uh, let's let this thing unfold. And really excited for it, Rick. Have a great rest of the week, and we'll talk to you on Sunday, all right? 
All right, Matt, let's get one. There you go. Rick Venturi, as always, inside football this week on the Colts Audio Network. As always, for the latest on the Colts and the rest of our content audio-wise, check us out, Colts.com, the uh, Colts mobile app and the Colts Audio Network, uh, the official Colts podcast, and plenty more coming your way all week long, leading you into Week 11 Colts and Eagles at Lucas Oil Stadium. For Rick Venturi, I'm Matt Taylor. We'll talk to you next Wednesday on another installment of this podcast, Inside Football with RV, right here on the Colts Audio Network. So long.